0: for you before we get started next sunday is our operation christmas child collection sunday so if you've not brought your shoeboxes try to get those in uh, by next sunday If you have not collected them and you would like to do that, if that's something you'd like to participate in, there are shoeboxes inside the lobby right here. Uh, So you can step right inside the lobby and you can find shoeboxes that you can take and fill up as a family and bring those back so that we can ship those around the world and hopefully share not only the, the, uh, the joy of Christmas, but the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we'd encourage you to be a part of that. It also just reminds you next Sunday night at six o'clock we are going to do our annual Thanksgiving dinner. It's going to be a little different than uh, than it has been in the past. We will have uh, a tent in the back, and so most of our seating will be outside. For those of you that just really want to be indoors, we will have some indoor seating that's available. Uh, the turkey, the dressing, and all the fixings, all that's going to be provided by the church this year, just uh, as a result of all the COVID excitement that we have going on around us. We are going to uh, to ask you guys to bring desserts, so if you'd like to do that, and what we're going to do is set up uh, a bunch of different dessert tables spread out so that hopefully we can... Uh, not have any of those gathering up and 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 doing any of the things we're not supposed to do so um that will be next sunday night at six o'clock so we, we 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 will send more Instructions out, and give you some more specific instructions next Sunday morning. Uh, as you may understand, may imagine some of this we're playing by ear just a little bit as we try and figure out what it looks like to do all these things. But uh, I know that uh, Pastor Buster is working to make sure we have everything. If you are interested in helping out in the kitchen to get everything ready for next uh, Sunday, if you'll see Buster. I'm sure, or Miss Charlotte, um, and they will point you in the right direction, but they can use some help. And then just be aware at some point next Sunday, we'll need to get some of you to help us get some tables set up and things like that out under that tent. So uh, just keep those things in mind as we look forward to that coming up next Sunday afternoon. Having said those things, today we are going to finish the book of Hebrews. So we've been in Hebrews now for uh, quite a while. We will be finishing it up today. So if you have your Bible, we're in the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. Hebrews 13. We're going to read just the last six verses, well, five verses, 20 through 25. I guess that is six. Hebrews 13, verses 20 through 25. Please stand with me in honor of God's Word if you can. I've written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with you all. Join with me this morning as we pray. Father God, I pray that we would come to your word this morning and not leave the same way that we arrived. Father, we are confident that this word is living and active, and Father God, I pray that today it would be at work in our lives. God, even as we come and pray that you would meet with us at this worship service, we also recognize, Father, that we are a part of a larger culture and society, and so, Father God, I do pray today for our our country, Lord, as we um, are are on the back end or still in the midst in some ways of an election season. Father God, I pray that you would, um, Lord, help us to find a way together to move forward. Lord, I pray that you would... uh, Cause us as your people to be ambassadors for Jesus first and foremost. Lord God, forgive us for our sin. Help us, Lord God, to honor you with our lives. And Lord God, show us the peace that we're going to preach about this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll be honest, I'm a little surprised that here we are November the, what's the day? The the 8th, and I I need sunglasses and a hat out here. This, uh, This is wild. This morning, I'm I'm going to preach to you out of the end of the book of Hebrews, and the topic is peace and patience. And I want to say, first and foremost, now I I schedule my sermons well in advance, as as I've said before, uh, but sometimes when I lay them out, I don't always lay them out by date. In other words, I kind of lay them out and then go back and superimpose them over a calendar later. And I didn't realize that this was going to be the sermon I would preach on the backside of an election. So many months ago, I didn't even realize when I planned this, that this would be the Sunday after election, but it is appropriate and apt for us to wrestle with this a little bit today. Uh, What what, what do we do to hold on when life doesn't give us everything that we would want? This election season has been the worst that I can remember. And like many of you, I was anxious and eager for it to be over. Like watching a Carolina football game here lately, isn't that right? (laughs) Truth hurts, y'all. Yet on the other side of the election, half our country is elated and the other half feels defeated. Some are fearful and some feel cheated. So when life doesn't give you what you want, how do you hold on? How do you hold on to Christ and to your Christian faith? Before we get into the text of the scripture this morning, I do want to remind all of us that our hope is not in our government or any earthly leader. Yeah, we should be engaged and involved in those processes, but regardless of the outcome of any election, our hopes and our desires are rooted. They've got to be rooted in Christ. They have to be there first and foremost. Folks, if you're afraid that the world is going to end or if you believe this world has finally been saved, you're wrong, regardless of how it is you're thinking. Because at the end of the day, we serve the great king who holds all these things in the palm of his hand. He's not been unseated, nor has he been replaced on the throne. God never moved, and we need to keep those things in mind. Nevertheless, moving on from election season, let's just wrestle with this question. What's it look like for us to hold on when when it's difficult, when it's challenging? It's not just during election seasons that we can struggle with this, is it? Sometimes they're big things that cause us to wonder. Sometimes they're small things. I, I often stand on the porch here after funerals. So when we have a funeral here at the church, I'm usually the first one out of the building when a funeral's over. And I, I lead the procession out. I lead the casket out. And I'll stand there, and I'll wait for everybody to come by. And I'll stand with my back to the building just like this, and I'll look at the road, and I'm always amazed at, 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 at what, what I see because I know that behind me in that building are people whose world is turned upside down. And yet I look out and I watch cars drive up and down the road, and those people have no idea that anything's going on. They don't even know that something's wrong. You see, folks, sometimes when we think about how it is that we're going to carry on, sometimes it's a big picture thing that affects many, many people. Other times I turn around and I wonder how a husband is going to carry on when his wife is in a casket, and yet everybody else in the world, is still going, the, the world, life's still going on as usual see folks those questions of how do we hang on how do I have peace and patience they can sort of hit us from all sorts of different angles and then I think we can all understand that the more years of experience we have in life the different ways these things hit us right can 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 you remember being uh, a young person uh, like like 25 okay not like one of those babies like 18 but can you remember being 25 and the things that seemed like they were so big And you look back 15 or 20 years later, and you go, why did I let that completely upend me? Why did I let that ruin me? Angela and I talked about this when we had our first child. Listen, it was so hard to get one kid ready for church. It was like we had a kid, and then you try to get to church, and it's like 45 minutes late, and you walk in the door, and you first-time parents, we know how it feels because we see you walk in with that one child, and you look like you've just been beat and abused. And it's amazing how a six-month-old child can completely ruin your life. I mean, you're trying to get out the door, and inevitably you're supposed to leave at 8.45 so that you've got an extra 15 minutes to get there. And at 8.43, there's one of those bad diaper situations that results in having to bathe a child, change a child, clean the carpet. And then before it's all said and done, you've had to clean yourself. And, and you t- look at the clock, and it's 9.30. And you go, I don't even know if I want to go to church now. Four kids later, we look back and go, one kid, man, if you give me one kid, I can take over the world. With one kid, I can do it. With two kids, we can do anything, right? Perspective changes and age changes. But, but regardless, in, in the midst of a moment, we sometimes look in the mirror, we sometimes look up and say, how am I going to hold on? That's what I was wrestle with this morning. How do we hold on? Especially how is it we hold on when following Jesus seems hard? first thing the writer of Hebrews gives it and remember he's closing out his letter his sermon to these people right so so what do you do when you speak to somebody or you write somebody a letter you're going to put your most important things at the beginning and at the end so it's in summary he might say after having said all these things i want to leave you with these few closing words and the first thing he says to them is this god is at work in you god is at work in you look with me right there in verse 20 He says, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of his eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. So he says, this is the God that we're talking about, the God who brings dead to life. I'm praying that God would continue to be at work in you and to equip you to do his will. What do you do when life gets challenging, when you wonder if you can hold on to Jesus? Can I urge you to remember that God is at work in you when the world seems to run amok? Christian, take heart knowing that God is not only working around you, he is at work in you. And watch this, you can have confidence that he will give you what you need, what you need. We've said this before, I'll say it again. We, we run away from that idea that God will never put more on us than we can handle. It is often the case that God will give us more than we can handle so that we can lean upon Him because there will never be more than He can handle. God is at work in you. And the hope for believers, the hope for Christians, is not that we will never struggle, but the confidence in knowing that whatever the world throws at us, the God who is in us is bigger than the problems Around us. Folks, do you know that? Do you, do you understand that there is a God above all, over all, through all, in all? This God that is bigger than our, per, than our, our current situation? This God that sees the big picture even when we only see our little slice of the, of the scenario, the situation? A God that's in control, and he's not just in control, he's at work in you. Believer, that's an incredible privilege that we have to know that God is at work in us. So that's the first thing. Second thing, I should also, before we continue on, I should let you know, because some of you get real excited when you follow my points and you go, oh, we're almost done. The conclusion this morning is really long, so brace yourselves. Second thing this morning, so God's at work in you. Second thing, God's word is a steady guide. He says in verse, I think, I got to go back and check. I think it's 22. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation. Now, this word of exhortation is the first century way of saying, y'all, listen up to my sermon. Bear with it. Just just be tough for a minute. Deal with this. One of the ways that God is at work in us is through his word. And y'all, his word is a steady guide. So when we read that in verse 22, this is him saying, listen up. Be patient with the exhortation of God's word. It is a steady guide, but it's often it often seems ill-suited to sort of the meme and text driven texting driven culture of our day. Because the word of God often works not immediately but sort of slowly infusing our bodies with its power. God's Word forms and shapes us, but often in ways that are not immediately present. Dan John was an all-American discus thrower. He's a weird, eclectic kind of guy. So in addition to that, he's also a religion professor and a strength coach and a, I guess it'd be a best-selling author. But when he was uh, learning to throw the discus, he had a a, a throwing coach. And he said, I want to be the best discus thrower I can be. What should I do to be the best best discus thrower I can be? And his coach said, it's really pretty simple. He said, I want you to lift weights three times a week, and I want you to throw the discus four times a week. He said, okay, I can do that. He said, I want you to do it for eight years, and after eight years, you will be the best discus thrower you can be, and you might just be the best in in the country. Eight years. He said, I want you to do three days of lifting and four days of throwing every week for eight years years. And he said, you know what? At the end of that eight years, I was a great discus thrower. Folks, the Word of God sometimes works in us that way. It's forming us. It's shaping us. It's molding us. But see, we are a microwave culture. We as a family are one of the weirdest families that you know, because we don't own a microwave. Okay? Now, I should be honest about the reason we don't own a microwave, it's because of the way our kitchen is built. There's not a real convenient place for there to be a microwave that doesn't sit on the counter and we just don't really want one sitting on the counter. So when we moved in this house about a year ago, it didn't have a microwave and we've just kinda learned to live without a microwave. But it's a little bit different, right? We we, we, we we're old school. I mean we melt butter on the stovetop, can you imagine? It's wild. But, but uh, not having a microwave really is not a big problem except when we get home from church this afternoon. See, when we get home from church this afternoon, I know what I'm having. I'm not telling y'all because some of y'all show up and there's not that much of it. And I'm not going to share. But I know what I'm having, okay? I know that it needs to be heated up. I know that for it to get heated up in the oven, it's probably going to take 20 minutes for it to get ready for me to eat it. I've got to wait on it. Folks, that's not the culture we've been... We've been conditioned to live in, is it? I'm supposed to be able to pop it in the microwave for 30 seconds and run with it. We want the same thing from the Word of God. We want these quick fixes, all right? Well, I got up. I spent, I spent all last week spending five minutes of morning in God's Word, and you know what? I don't feel any different, so I'm done with it. Come on, guys. Come on. God's Word is a steady guide, and it's a slow and steady pace setter. And over time, it changes as it works within us. Doesn't always work overnight, but a regular, steady diet of God's word gives us this, this sort of godly internal ecosystem. See, we can be confident that God's word is always true and always applicable. The writer of the Hebrews understood that the people to, needed to not only hear the word of God, but they needed ready they needed to be urged to honor the word. But he also understood that it wasn't always easy to hear the word of God. As your pastor, I know that. See, sometimes we run into this this mess where you go, Well, you're the preacher, so it's all, you don't understand what it's like. Listen, I understand that there are times when hearing the Word of God is not what I want to do. As a matter of fact, there's some passages in Scripture that I don't always enjoy because they speak against me. Sometimes just, I'm not in the mood. And yet, God's Word is still steady and true regardless of how I feel. Regardless of what's going on in the world around me, whether it's election season or not, God's Word is still true. Whether it's too hot in November or not, God's Word is still true. In the middle of a pandemic, God's Word is still true. And folks, God's Word will still be true when we're experiencing life in the way that we want to experience it at some point. You know, sometimes it's actually easier to cling to God's Word, though, in the hard days than it is the good days because when life gets really easy, we have this temptation to ignore it, to forget it. When I don't need it, I forget that it's there. God's Word is a steady guide, and if we will consume a steady diet of God's Word, it shapes us and it molds us. But be careful. It's not going to happen overnight. And y'all, be patient with those people who say to you, listen up because we all need those people in our lives who will speak the Word of God to us, even in the times and the places when we don't want to hear it. God's word shaping us and molding us. So what can we do? When we, how do we hold on? How do we find peace and patience? Remember that God is at work in us. Remember that God's Word's a steady guide. And number three this morning, remember that you are not alone. Now, usually when the preacher says this, he says, God's here for you. And folks, God is here for you. He is a friend who sticks closer than a brother, and I do not deny that for one minute. But the writer of the Hebrews doesn't finish out his word with this, this, hey, God is is here for you and he's for you. He finished out his word this way. He says, you should know that Timothy's been released, and if I can, I'm going to bring him with me when I come to see you in just a little while. Greet your leaders. Tell them that I miss them. That's kind of what that says in the Craig version. Grace be with you all. But remember, he didn't just say it here. If we run back up to verse 19, he says, or in 18, pray for us that we may have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things. Our urge met more earnestly in this order that I may be restored to you sooner. He says, I'm going to come see you. You're not all by yourself. Christian, listen to me. How do you hold on one of the most... um, that's not, I was going to say one of the most greatest, but that's not really good English at all. Let's just go with it, though. One of the most greatest things that comes about being a part of a healthy church is a confidence that we're not alone. This preacher in Hebrews wants his hearers to know that they aren't all alone. He says, I'm going to try to get there, and if I can, I'm bringing Timothy with me. I am going to show up. I know I sound a bit like a broken record here. But one of the greatest benefits of a healthy church is knowing that you don't have to go through life alone. And if it's a really healthy, godly church, and this is important. See, a healthy church is the kind of place not only where you find people to do life with, it's where you find godly people who will walk through life with you and urge you to be more godly as a result of their presence in your life. In other words, a healthy church is filled with healthy Christians, not social club Christians, not, not country club Christians. It's filled with healthy believers who are working to regularly take in a diet of God's Word, who are leaning on this God that lives within them. And when you're a part of a church like that, and if we can be a church like that, then the benefit is that the the whole builds up the individual. You understand? We are not alone, and that is one of the great privileges of being a part, one of the most greatest privileges of being a part of a healthy church is you don't have to do it all by yourself. Somebody just mentioned this in life group just a few minutes ago this morning. What a privilege it is for our children to have other believers as a result of our church engagement with whom they can feel comfortable and they can go and they can they can talk freely about what's going on in their life. That's one of the great benefits for us as parents about having our children in a healthy church. But it's not just for children, y'all. We as believers in Jesus also benefit so much from having other godly, committed believers with whom we regularly invest our lives and who are investing in us. We need that. And y'all, it's comforting to know that you're not all by yourself when life gets hard, isn't it? I have a friend who's um uh, whose wife about three weeks ago had a um, uh, ca- went into cardiac arrest and was without a pulse for uh several minutes and and by god 's grace she she survived um, she's slowly um, recovering it's it 's really incredible. Story uh, to see the way that, that she's, she's returning to health. And, and the, pro, the prognosis for her looks really good. It's really, really incredible. Um, but he, he and I have just talked a bit about how fortunate, how blessed, how grateful he is that he's not having to walk this road all by himself right now. He's got other believers that are coming alongside of him, right? People that he works with, people that he goes to church with people that he has known for years that are coming alongside, that are praying for him, that are reaching out to him. Say, brother, we're here for you. How can we walk this journey with you? How do we hold on? Folks, we, we, we will struggle to hold on if we isolate ourselves on an island. But being a part of a church body gives us the privilege to hold on, to cling to that peace and that patience when the world around us seems to be raging. So, how do we hold on? How do we tie all that together? On October the 16th, of 1555, a crowd gathered in Oxford, England, to see a public execution. On that day, 70 year old preacher Hugh Latimer and another pastor, Nicholas Ridley, who had been the Bishop of London, were tied to a stake and burned alive because of their commitment to Protestant biblical ethics. The government of England had turned against them. Their religious liberty was stifled. Their freedom was taken away, and they were staring death in the face. Yet we are told that as they approached the stake to which they would be chained and burned, Ridley kissed the stake, and the two men prayed. Ridley prayed aloud, O Heavenly Father, I give unto thee most hearty thanks that thou hast called me to be a professor of thee even unto death. I beseech thee... "'Lord God, have mercy on this realm of England "'and deliver it from all her enemies. "'Peace and patience, even as he faced death.'" Fox's Book of Martyrs tells us that as the wood of the pyre was stacked high around the men and the flames rose, Latimer said aloud, "'Be of comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man.'" We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as shall never be put out. Folks, can I tell you that having peace in the midst of difficult days is not dependent upon what the world around us does. And it is certainly never dependent upon what our government looks like. In Hebrews 10 34, we've already been told of first century believers who joyfully accepted the plundering of their property since they knew that they themselves had a better possession and an abiding one. We are called to be Christians who will face hate and reviling and exclusion for Christ's sake and yet rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, our reward is great in heaven. How do we hold on when life isn't what we expected or wanted? We are called to be Christians who see the beauty and the worth of the Son of God. Folks, in conclusion, let me ask you, have you faithfully clung to the unsearchable riches of Christ? Are you working to not only be a follower of Jesus, but to raise up those generations who say with Paul, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord? Folks, we are urged to remember that according to 1 Peter two eleven we are sojourners and exiles, and our citizenship is in heaven from which we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We must cling to the truth shared by Paul, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. How do we hold on? How do we have peace and patience in tumultuous times? Folks, what if I told you that we won't find it on our TV screens? We won't find it in Columbia or in Washington, D.C. If we want to have peace and patience in difficult days, we remember the King. We celebrate that he is at work in us. We find strength and comfort in his word, and we rest in the confidence that we are not alone. He will never leave us nor forsake us, and y'all... He hasn't left us without fellowship in the world either. Oh, how quick can we be to become woe is me Christians? How quick can we be to become woe is me Christians? And every time we do, we should always remember Elijah, shouldn't we? You remember the story. The prophets of Baal gathered. Elijah had issued a challenge y'all bring your stuff, bring your people, I'll bring my God and everything will be all right. And the Bible says that the prophets of Baal gathered and they sang and they danced and they chanted and they prayed and they pried and they cut themselves with swords, Did everything they could, but no answer came from Baal. The Bible says that Elijah finally waited as long as he could wait. What a showman Elijah must have been, right? He allowed the suspense to build all day long. And then he says, y'all go fill up some buckets of water. I want to make sure that when God answers, that everybody knows the God who answers. The Bible says that just as Jesus told us not to pray as the hypocrites do, who pray with lots of words, Elijah didn't pray with, as the hypocrites. He just stepped up and said, hey, God, I know who you are. But Lord God, these people need to know who you are. God, would you answer with fire from heaven and consume this sacrifice? The Bible says that, of course, the Lord sent holy fire from heaven and consumed not only the sacrifice, but the altar, licked up the water out of the trenches. And there Elijah stood, victorious in the Lord. But, of course, you remember the story. Once that happened, a tired and exhausted Elijah was terrified that even though that God had delivered him from the hands of, of all of these prophets of Baal that this woman Jezebel would kill him. So Elijah ran and ran and ran till Elijah could run no more and he falls out exhausted by this creek. The Lord sustains him for days on end. And finally the Lord says, Elijah, what's wrong with you? Why are you acting like this? Still small voice. God not screaming at him, speaking with him. Elijah says, Lord, all these things have happened, but here I am all by myself. Thanks for nothing. Sure, you won. You look good, but here I am. The Lord says, Elijah, you've been so focused on yourself. You have no idea what I've done. There are yet 700 prophets who haven't bent the knee. Prophets. Not people. These are just the leadership. He says, Elijah, I've got my people. And even though it may seem like everything's falling apart to you, everything is just fine. I never left my throne. Folks, when we find ourselves leaning toward despair, struggling to have peace and to be patient, Let me remind you that God is at work in you, that God's work is a steady guide, that God will never leave you nor forsake you, but also that not only is God with you, he's given you his people to be your strength and your comfort in this world. I don't know what threatens to rob you of your joy right now. I don't know what it is that threatens to rob you of your peace. But I know this. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are commanded, urged. You could even say that we are promised the privilege of having peace in the midst of uncertainty. Because we serve a risen Savior. The writer of the Hebrews began this passage that we started, that we've preached from this morning with the reminder not only that God was with them, but of who this God is. Y'all, when you're tempted toward despair, let me remind you who he is. He is the God who brought Jesus from the grave. And he is your God and your Savior and your King. He's the Prince of Peace. And you can trust him. If you're here this morning, you've struggled to have peace in the midst of turmoil or unrest, perhaps today would be the day that you would just give it to Jesus in all honesty. And maybe you'll give it to Jesus today by just singing to the Lord. Lord God, my sacrifice of praise, I don't know how it's going to all work out, but God, I'm not going to worry about all that today. I'm going to focus on you and trust that you're going to handle it. Maybe you need to come and I'd, I'd be happy to pray with you pastor buster's inside if you're inside he'd be happy to pray with you pray with you to help you find that peace that the lord would direct you perhaps there are other things the way that the lord is working with in your life as we stand and as we sing i would invite you to respond as god would have you to do so let me pray for us as we stand this morning lord god i am grateful for the peace that passes understanding that is found in jesus christ lord i pray that you give us that in hard days and help us to trust you in christ's name amen